Hey, fellow tennis nerds, another episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast. I'm here with Leah Davidov. I hope I pronounced that correctly. A college tennis player, New Jersey, then went into journalism, professional writing. Now she's very active on Instagram. She writes for tennis.com, works for the tennis channel. So today we're going to talk a lot about tennis and her background in the sport. Uh, how are you today? I'm doing very well. It's a great Friday over here. Can't complain. I even forgot it was Friday, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Every day this week has felt like a Thursday, so I'm thankful that it's no longer a Thursday. Yeah, yeah. What's you been up to this week? You have some tournaments you're working on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Every week there's at least four tournaments going on. Um, Abu Dhabi was the big one. Kluge Napoca, the Transylvania Open was great. And then there's a few for the men's side, um, like the Dallas Open, which is always exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, tennis never sleeps, right? So you go straight from Australian Open and you're like, oh, that was, a, that was a great slam. And then just next week, you're like, okay, well, they have two WTA and one ATP, you know, just to mention those. Yeah, exactly. The night of, you know, Sinner holds up the trophy and I'm back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so how was your day like? You know, you're working for, uh, I guess it's Tennis Channel officially, right? Um, and you're writing for Tennis.com. Like, do you have to keep up with everything? Do you single out certain tournaments or players or projects or, or how do you? up your day yeah so um tennis.com is within the tennis channel uh network um so i work on the plus side so everything streaming wise in terms of tennis channel plus that's all me everything you're paying for i make sure you get so you enjoy your service and you keep giving us money um and then i also work on the newsletter so if you're subscribed to the weekly newsletter that's all me have a face to the to the to the email um, and I also write for tennis.com. So there's many tournaments going on. There's a bunch of editors and writers on scene 24 seven. Um, and anything from style points on baseline, which are more futuristic pieces and social drama that happens, uh, to the hardcore news stuff. I, I'm your girl, whatever, whatever comes our way, whoever doesn't grab it, you know, it's, it's first come first serve. So that's a lot of fun. Do you have a niche that's kind of your favorite? Like well, this part of tennis I like the most or covering this kind of stories? Yeah, um, I really like the technical aspect of tennis um, across the board for pros. Um, they might use the same grip, but they all have a different strategy. They all have a different gameplay. They all have different strengths on the court, depending on how far back they are. Some of them like to close in. It's, it's really fascinating to me how unique the sport is. It's such an individual sport and it's true to how the individuals play the game. Yeah, so it's I kind of like, like it, getting into that. Yeah, it's MMA for uh, with a tennis ball, I usually say. Like it's, it's such a kind of mental game in between two players and there's so many matchup questions, strategies that come into play and then you have the surfaces and then you have the conditions and then the travel and there's so many variables all the time, right? Exactly. There's so much off camera that fans don't get to see um, and that we were hoping to see more of in Breakpoint from Netflix. Um, and, then, you know, coming as a player myself, I, I just know that there's such a difference between getting to high school, getting to college and then making that switch to pro. The commitment is undeniable um, and it's truly fascinating the, the, the level and the eliteness that, that goes with it. Did you ever want to go pro? Was that your plan? Like you play high level college? So, um, it was definitely college for me. And, you know, it, I always pictured myself playing like a match on Arthur Ashe, but it's not that I saw myself going pro necessarily. I just, it was always a love hate relationship for me growing up because it's such an individual sport. You know, it comes with its highs and very low lows. 
Um, and I always knew, at least for myself, that there was a ceiling that I wouldn't get as far um, in terms of, you know, my my own status here, my other interests. Um, I've kind of been doing a lot of things regardless, and I, I have other passions, and it's just a matter of combining them all and seeing the best fit for me, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, you studied journalism afterwards, which is what I did as well. Um, how was that? Was that a natural choice for you to kind of like, now you can combine these two, obviously, but was also journalism like a natural part of your, your studies? Ironically, it wasn't. I went as, as a math major um, to college. I really, I love everything about math, the study of it, the, theori the theories. But I was looking around the room and I was like, what am I doing here? Like, what am I going to do with this? There's nothing interesting that I would want to take this somewhere. And writing has always been a passion of mine. I've been writing since I was a little girl. And it was kind of like an aha moment. Like, let me study all things writing. So I did journalism. I did all things professional writing, creative writing. Um, and it was actually when COVID hit that it, I had another aha moment where I stopped playing tennis. My, my college career was basically cut short. And I started writing about what it was like to be a student athlete who couldn't athlete anymore. Um, and I ended up getting that published in New York Tennis Magazine. And that was like, wow, you know, why not combine my love for writing with my love for tennis? I, I'm already so knowledgeable. That's, that's truly where I could, where I could go. And from there it was, okay, how, how do I get into the tennis world? Where is my foot in? And that was ultimately a tennis channel. So that, that's how I kind of got to where I am today. That's great. So it must be a lot of fun then because you can combine these two passions you know and you might still want to do creative writing on the side i'm not sure what your you know preferences with writing but it, you can at least you know have fun at work i guess you know yeah absolutely i i don't complain about the hours at all you know i think it's a lot better than a nine to five instead every week i'm surprised because my hours shift as the tournaments move around the world um and i get to write about tennis which i'm very passionate about i have enough time to also write for myself and even coach tennis on the side so i get to a little bit of everything and, and so far it's been treating me nice <laughs> you still play like in a competitive way in some form um unfortunately not at the level that i was training at literally since covid um, even when the world was starting to get back and you know we were trying to get back into the semester routine and, and playing competitively um my it was never back to where i was um but i do comp you know play around with hitting partners around here who also kind of are in the same boat as me, just kind of want to keep hitting. Um, I'm a great hitting partner for other players who are now uh, training to go to college and even pro. Um, and I, I coach on the side also, which is a fun hobby for me. What do you think about coaching? Like what, what kind of uh, students do you have? Do you have like rec players? Do you have competitive players? All over. Um, I started coaching when I was 14 at my, the club that I was training at. So for the days that I wasn't playing in their groups, I was coaching or even both, honestly. Um, and I, it was so fascinating to be on the other side of the net. I think it improved my game a lot because I, I would recognize things in the opponent that I wouldn't see, wouldn't have seen before. Um, and I think it's really crucial. And I think a lot of coaches are starting to realize that, that not every player can be coached the same. And especially when you're working with little kids, they don't even understand what the sport is yet. And you have to get them engaged in it to want to hold up the racket a certain way and to trust you when you say, no, 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 let's change the grip this way. I know it's uncomfortable, but you got to trust me. You know, a lot of times they just want to have fun. And, and that's kind of, you know, you have to make that balance. 
Um, and I work with high school players, recreational, literally anybody from five to 18 years old has been kind of my bread and butter. And it's, it's a lot of fun, truly. They, they make me want to get out there and play. I think that's the part that you have to look at it, like that if you're a coach, you're also inspiring yourself to play. So partly you're getting your tennis fix in a way, but you're also getting like, oh, you know, I can maybe use this or I learned something from my own coaching. Like you hear yourself talk and you're like, oh, I should do this more maybe, right? Yeah, exactly. Literally the other day I was on court and I heard another coach say something a certain way and I was like, oh my God, like that that explains so much in my game. I love that. And now I'm thinking about it every time I hit that slice forehead. It's, it's fantastic. What is your game style? What what do you uh, what's your strengths and weaknesses? Ooh, I am definitely an impatient player. Uh, if I can end the point in four balls, I will. Um, and I'm definitely an attacker. I I play aggressively and I move towards the net. I I love finishing the point out at net and even with an approach shot. That's that's kind of my favorite uh, go to. Um, in terms of weaknesses, definitely. Uh, I would say the impatience is definitely the biggest one because uh, the shot selection, I, I understand the strategies, but part of me doesn't want to listen to that and just kind of go for it. Um, so that's definitely, you know, something that I, I still work on to this day and, and try to convince myself that, okay, it's okay to go to five shots, six shots. It's okay. We're, we're good. Um, so that's definitely, yeah. And in college, I got a chance to play doubles also because you get to play both um, if, you know, if it suits. Um, and that's when I really discovered how much I love doubles because you don't really train that when you're growing up either. It's always singles focused. Um, and unless you find a great doubles partner for tournaments, you're, you're not really in the, in the right headspace and understanding that game. So I, I definitely fell in love with doubles also. <laughs> yeah. And that's also a sport in itself, right? Like different strategies, different approach to the team format, you know, communication with your partner and so on. So I think sometimes you know, people don't realize how different that is. You can't just like take your singles game and just go and play doubles. You know, you have to have to adapt, you know. Exactly. That's, you know, the big Empire Cups that would happen throughout the year for junior players. Uh, you would sign up with like your favorite player that you like practicing with, but you realize that your games don't complement each other. You have no idea how to work together to, to build the point out and to work to your strengths. Doubles is such a, a unique strategical play, and there's so many different ways to play the point and to take advantage of the shot. Um, so it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's a whole new different game. And again, it comes back to you. It's still the individual sport. You have to stand, you know, play the best tennis that you can, communicate well with your opponent. Even if you're not feeling it, you still have to pretend or, you know, present yourself that you are. Um, it, it's quite a whole, it's, it's really fascinating. I, it's a shame that it's under underrated. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Do you think there's something we can do as tennis people in the tennis industry, whatever, to push doubles a bit more or make it more of a, you know, engaging, I mean, cause we, there's been teams or, or situations where doubles been pretty high, you know, hot at the moment, but then it kind of fades again. Right. Do you have any ideas there? Yeah, I think it's always there's something in the culture of sporting events where, you know, even in teams, there's always a few players on that team that, that stand out. And I think it comes back to our idea that like each of us has something could be that great person. And we all want to experience that greatness. So seeing someone in singles, being able to do it all by themselves, you know, even though there's a team in the box, it's them. They're the ones on the court. They're the one executing it. it it's like a showmanship and an inspiration to like what, we as individuals can get to 
And in doubles, I feel like it's underrated because you're a team. And, you know, there's there's less happening and the points aren't 25 shots long and it doesn't go to five sets or crazy, you know, any other external things. And the media attention also plays a very, very big role in that as well. Um, I I think it's similar to women's tennis, honestly. When you see it live, you respect it a lot more. Um, it's just one of those things that, you you don't understand how fun it is and how enjoyable it is to watch until you're you're there um and so we need to just get more people into those stadiums where the doubles are you know maybe okay free entry you know you're already on the ground there's a match happening go this way we'll give you a free little magnet or something go watch some doubles get them through the door to to enjoy this experience why not you know yeah, I think like most things, and you make a good point, like tennis is best viewed live because on TV sometimes, you know, depending on the angle, like I don't like these birds view. Some some tournaments have really high up angles and, and it looks like they're playing slow motion tennis, you know, it, does, it looks like pickleball, right? So yeah, I think think it's it's sad sometimes that they don't mix the angles more or try to get closer to it. So it gets more of a, that live vibe where you see how fast it is explosive on both women's, men's and doubles, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, take football, for example, or any other sport where, you know, you have a fan watching from behind a TV and someone's yelling at the TV like, oh, he should have thrown it that way. Or like, well, that was a terrible call. Like, okay, one, it's much different. It's much faster. You're staring at it from behind a screen. So it's a little like everything's a little bit different when you're not there in person. And in tennis specifically, you don't appreciate how fast the ball is going until you see for yourself how quickly they're moving, the racket speed, the top spin, how it, it's just mind-blowing tennis, truly. I mean, you hear the serve stats for Ben Shelton being in the 140s, and they're like, that's ridiculous, but you can't, you don't see it. So you don't really know what it's like to stand against that and try to return it, you know, until you're watching it happen. Yeah, you need to get it kind of on that grassroots level where it feels more like, okay, you can, you, you can see it with your own eyes instead of just like getting that kind of highlights or, or just some screen somewhere where you don't really get immersed in it that much. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we could do a much better job on that. Yeah. New generation, hopefully. Uh, so I, I'm thinking about like this. So you, you talk about your playing style and I, I think that is common to a lot of people listening, but a lot of tennis players in general that we're impatient, right? We want to end the point. Do you think that comes from kind of like personality or it's just instinctual or do you think it's it's just something about teaching yourself more patience and strategy i mean you know the strategy as you said so and same here i can read the game but then i still want to finish it in four points i don't know if i watch too much of roger federer i, I don't know what happened but but it's like it's something you have to really work on that's a great question i do think it's more personality based and your competitive nature and just the way you perceive the sport. For me, it was always like I had to prove that I was worthy of being in the room and and part of the tennis world. You know, I didn't grow up in the same status that everyone around me who played tennis did. So it was like, all right, guys, like, don't count me out. I'm, I'm just as good and qualified, like here I am. So I felt like I, I embodied that in my tennis game as well. Whereas other players, you know, they maybe they're just more comfortable back there and they know that they can drive you out and they don't mind. They love the sport so much that they're enjoying it. They're like, yeah, I'll hit another forehand. Cool. Oh, you put me that way? Great. I'll run it down. No problem. You know, so maybe it is a little bit of a personality and 
it is also the coaching. I mean, you, it, it's a combination of everything. I think what you focus on in your lessons, it plays true to what you're expecting to perceive in a match. So if you're focusing a lot on your approach shot and your net game, you're probably going to look to to see if you can take advantage of anything and move forward. Whereas like, okay, let's see how many times you can hit to a hundred. Like, let's see which team can get to a hundred first. Then you're, you might play a more consistent tournament that that week, you know? Um, but I do think it stems from the, the kind of personality and the way you perceive the sport and, and what you want to do with it um, and your own presence for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a it's a mix. Like, because I mean, I I really appreciate you know beautiful looking tennis, and then you try to imitate, but you know if you have uh, limited like, I mean, no one can play like Federer. Like for example, you know, I watched, grew up watching a lot of, of Fed matches, and you appreciate his style, you appreciate other players, but then you if you mimic too much, then you, you know that the stats go against you. Like attacking tennis is generally not so so smart <laughs> if you want to win matches because it's like you really need to hit that purple patch or or uh, have a good right. day, you know. And I wanted to ask you also uh, on that note. You you said talked about your background there. Like, how did you get into tennis? Do you have parents playing tennis, or was this more like you are the the tennis berry in the family, or how did it happen? Uh, my mom always played recreationally, but she was never um, an athlete, so to speak. Um, it was more just for fun. Um, my dad was an athletic child. Uh, he made it pretty well in in handball, actually. Um, but tennis kind of was just a family outing that we would just go out and play when it was a nice day. And, and they saw that I was getting competitive and excited about being on the court. So they put me in a few recreational lessons in my, in my local town, which basically meant an indoor basketball court with a makeshift net. Um, and that's when the competitive nature really stood out. Um, I wanted to be the best one there. And my form didn't look great, but I was hitting the ball strong and I was competing well when we were playing king of the court, you know, in little at six years old, whatever that could mean. Um, and eventually I, I grew out of that. So it went from the basketball court to an outdoor tennis lesson. And the the person who put these lessons together ended up coaching me privately for a little bit. And then he said, you know what, like that, I think she needs a, another level. Um, and that's ultimately how I got to to my club, uh, where I trained from around nine, ten years old, um, all the way through high school, and where I was coaching when I was a teenager. Um, so yeah, I mean, it all kind of started out in the air, just just having fun, and it went from there. I, I couldn't get enough. That's great. That's a tennis love story in a way, right? I think this happens for <laughs> yeah. of like you 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 kind of fall in love, then you can fall out of love with the sport, and go back in did that ever happen to you where you had like a period where you're like okay no more tennis i had too much tennis absolutely uh when i first started playing tournaments i didn't realize how individual the game was i was practicing with people throughout the week and then on the, the weekends we were biting each other's heads off um and it wasn't fun i didn't understand the social aspect of the game and you know i'm, I'm spending all this time outside of school playing tennis so I didn't really have too big of a social life. Like it was always give and take. And I, I felt really, I was struggling a lot in the social aspect of the sport and I didn't quite enjoy it as much. And it was frustrating that every weekend, you know, even second place, you're disappointed. You know, one player comes out on top and as a little kid, that's like, you know, that should have been me or it was right on my racket or, 
you know, sometimes losing first round is better. You know, it's like, okay, at least I have a day to recover, enjoy my Sunday, Saturday, you know, and then I'll get back to training the next time or like I'll hit for a little bit, but whatever. Sometimes that's better. And and then it was like, that doesn't make sense. I, I'm supposed to win. Like I, this is a competitive sport. Um, so it was, it was very difficult growing up. Uh, it was definitely an uphill battle. And in middle school, I, I really wanted to, to stop playing tournaments almost immediately as I started them, I wanted to stop. Um, and it was when I got to high school, when I started playing for a team and I, I really loved the game again. And I, I kept playing, I played more tournaments and I was trying to balance it with the team and I was making sacrifices and I knew I wasn't going to build my ranking as far as everyone else because I was choosing high school but I also knew that it would help me in the long run enjoy the sport more um, I even joined track and field in the spring and I threw the discus because that's sort of like a forehand but you're spinning and that was a lot of fun for me and it made me like tennis again I just found different ways to connect with the sport um, because I didn't want to lose that part of me it was so much who I was you know even in the school it was like Leah's the tennis person like it was, it's just, it became who I was. Um, so college was an absolute must for me. You know, I, I wanted to keep playing more competitively. My high school team, we definitely competed well, but we were small and we only made it so far. Whereas college, it felt like a whole new window of opportunity for a team sport and to be carried with other players at my level um, and even better. Um, and that was the greatest year and a half of my life until COVID happened but either way it's tennis has always been a roller coaster of a ride for me and it's been an absolute pre pleasure and privilege that's that's for sure yeah it's the right spirit I, I think like a lot of people struggle sometimes with the anxiety of being alone on a tennis court and the pressures that come with it like from internal pressures could be external pressures but you know you can see a guy like Kyrgios for example there are examples on the WTA tour as well like where you see them in a team setting and everything just feels more natural. Like they feel more like, yeah. okay, I have a team behind me. I have a team I play for, but playing alone feels strange and feels like, you know, who am I playing for here? Only myself and the anxiety gets too much, you know, was is that a little bit how you felt? Yeah. And I think that stands true to why I enjoyed doubles so much when I got to college, because I, I never played it to that level before. And I had someone next to me and, and I think there was also a shift. I remember there was one match in, in high school, a state sectional match, and it was quite far from home. So so my family didn't come, but the other team was very much, their families were all over. And you could just feel the intensity from the, the parents of the girl that I was playing against. And it was like a, you know, watching myself sort of, like you're just picturing yourself with all these external pressures and seeing how that could get to someone. It's like, wow, you know, how we've come so far from picking up a racket to now feeling pressured to compete well in this sport that we all share in common. And it was like, I, I need to find a way to enjoy it again because it is such a beautiful sport. It's a sport you for life. You know, you don't need 14,000 people on a, on a field to compete. You need one other person and sometimes just a wall. Um, and it's it's beautiful, and I'm thankful for it, and it builds a different kind of person, which which I think is is quite interesting. Um, but in yeah, I think when you learn to appreciate how much it's how amazing the sport is, that's that's when you really fall in love with it again, and it's always coming back to that. Yeah, I think that's what people come back. I I have a lot of people like when I do racket consultations and stuff that's been gone for ten years, five years. 
But when they get back to it, their passion is stronger than ever because they realize a little bit what, what was missing or how good it feels to hit a ball again. You know, like it's it's just even if it's not competitive, just that feeling of just hitting for an hour or two hours is kind of like a stress relief in a way, right? Like you're in you're in the zone. You can't think about anything else. You're just there with with the tennis ball. That's that's pretty nice. Yeah, I feel like um, as long as you've committed to the lessons for a certain period of time, whether it doesn't matter what age, if if you've built this into a routine, you find such, it, it's like a meditative state, you know, like you're just hitting the ball, trying to get a rhythm and just escaping reality for X amount of time. Um, I heard a really interesting stat this past week that somewhere around 6 million people try tennis once a, every year, but only one million of those people actually stay with it. Mm-hmm. So we're getting people in the door. People are are recognizing the beauty of tennis and they want to give it a shot, but it's a matter of like finding that peace and finding what it can do to you. And I think that's super, super interesting. Yeah, I discussed that with a guy. We were playing a pretty advanced player, but then and then we were walking around and we saw some beginners on the, on the court next to us. And it's like, oh, that, or you know, they were like a family and they were hitting like mother you know, and, and father and son or something. And it looked like, oh, how miserable that is when you can't really <laughs> hit the ball. And and I, that that is like, that's the issue with tennis sometimes. It's like, it's it's beautifully deep in that terms. Like you can spend a whole lifetime trying to perfect your, you know, forehand or whatever. Uh, but then like the, the starting stretch is so long, right? Like it's just to get to that point where you're actually enjoying the hitting process is quite long. So I think that's not so strange that one, like a sixth of the people are like, no, no, not for me, you know? Right. No, absolutely. And I think that's why kids who grow up playing tennis end up somehow circulated in it and want to go to the, the tournaments live and see it because they they spent part of their lives where they don't really remember much anyways dedicated to the sport. And now it's like ingrained in them. Whereas an adult trying to pick it up and, and find a groove and make it sociable and, and get a little exercise. It's, it's tough. It's a really tough sport to pick up, especially with no other athletic background, very minimal. If you've never used an external equipment to do something before serving in particular is the wildest thing to me. When in your day-to-day life, are you throwing something up and trying to go after it? Aside from volleyball players, like no one's doing that motion. So that's something you're learning from scratch and can be extremely frustrating, especially when you throw in a continental grip, which wouldn't make sense at first. You know, it's like, I just want to smack it that way, but I have to hit it from the side. Like it's, it's wild. It's, it's crazy. So respect to anyone who does pick it up in their adult life, truly. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's a good way of putting it. And I think it's like, I think the rewards are there if you persist, you know, but it, it's very easy to be like, okay, I'm going to play golf or which is even harder maybe in some ways, but like, or pickleball, maybe it's a bit easier. Paddle in Europe, quite, you know, popular. So the sun is coming out after a whole day of rain. <laughs> it's like straight, the timing. I'm going to like have a sunscreen. You mentioned pickleball, you know. <laughs> yeah, the sun comes out always yeah. when you talk about pickleball. Do you, have you played pickleball, by the way? I'm not, I don't want to get into the pickleball hate, but uh, have you have you tried it? I'll say, unfortunately, I have. Um, I respect it. I don't think it should be comparable to tennis, honestly. It's a fun game. It's a little tiny mini sport thing that's happening, and it's great, but it's not like we're, we're like second cousins, you know? It's cool to have you in the family. Great racket sport, but not for everybody. Yeah, it feels more like a beach, like something you bring on a picnic. 
You know, you bring yeah. like, let's bring this a picnic sport. You know, it's like, oh, we here's a patch of grass and uh, we have a net and this is a now we play. You know, that that's how I feel about it, right? It's a bit yeah, like that. it should be. It, it just seems so leisurely. The sound that the ball makes against the the, the paddle and and just the scoring and the how quickly everything happens and the it especially to a tennis player. I mean, there's little movement, so to speak. You know, there's not as much of an athletic challenge there. So it, it seems so leisurely. It, it doesn't come with any consequence, I don't think. Yeah, and usually like, if I do something, I, I've tried it. I mean, I even played some tournaments uh, and like I, I, I try to respect everything, but you feel like, okay, this is kind of, I respect the depth and difficulty of tennis. So this is not for me. Uh, I can enjoy it. I can see why some people enjoy it. It's pretty easy. You know, and then some people come in the comments if I say something and they'll be like, oh, um, oh, you haven't seen Ben Jones play Jack Sock? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have. I have actually watched that on YouTube. And I, I still, <laughs> it's still only like someone rushing to the net and like dicky dock, dicky dock, and hopefully not being passed. Or, you know, it's like, it's impressive in the way that they move around the net, but it's also a little bit lame compared to a tennis match. Sorry. <laughs> Right. Also, I think it's really strange, especially for my kind of game where I like to challenge the net and come forward. You're telling me I have to stay behind this line that I can't actually close in like that's, you know, that seems unfair to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The kitchen thing is a tough like when you stay and you have to really like keep your feet planted just like outside the line and then you have to reach in and dink the ball. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I just want to finish the point. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, which is why it's surprising to me that tennis players have moved to pickleball instead of like padel, for example, in Europe. Like that, that's so much more tennis and exciting and the ball's kind of going everywhere. And I feel like that's more intensive and more up our, our tennis player alley than pickleball. So I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a in the US probably it's a money thing a little bit. Like, I mean, if you're a tennis player mm. and also it's 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 on the hype train, right? So people are like hyping it up. You know, it's like a thing where, okay, it, this is now the new thing to do. And if you're maybe Jack Sock or Sam Query or whatever, you're like, okay, I get money to do this. This is half or less fifteen percent of the work I have to put in as a tennis player. You can <laughs> play some like invitational events, some PTP a tour, whatever it's called, and it's. You know, it's, I can understand. It's good. Money is nice. And uh, you, you have some exercise, you know, so that's, so that's pretty good. That's true. I mean, it's, yeah, especially as the players age, I guess pickleball would be the, the easier option for them. Yeah, but I have a lot of like friends that are ex-pros, like top 150 to 200 that really got into a paddle like or padel, but it's they really into it. So that transition is quite common in Europe, I would say. Maybe not so much in States now, but might be in two, three, four years. Who knows, right? Yeah, I actually tried it for the first time in January and I I never wanted to leave. It was it was mind blowing. The padel is just unbelievable. Um, like that's a that's a neat little spark in me, you know, getting me back on a tennis court too. Like it just all comes back. So I definitely didn't have that first love, you know, love at first sight experience with pickleball. <laughs> no, no, it's very different. Like and also if you if you like to, you know, close in on the net and play doubles. Like then paddle is is as close to kind of tennis doubles as you can get, except that there's wall, you know, there are walls and the courts are smaller, but at least you have that back and forth and you need to be really fast with your reflexes and stuff at the net, which is which is fun, you know, it's fun points always, right? Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, it's it's challenging in a new, exciting way, but also a manageable excitement because I'm athletic enough to be able to handle that pace and that pressure. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to get into that question as well. Uh, how much tennis do you have to watch? You, <laughs> do, do you have to? Are you watching? You know, it depends on what, what phrase you like. Like sometimes like watching too much tennis can be intense you know my father watches a lot of tennis and i'm like are you still watching tennis like i'm i cannot watch i have to ask questions yeah i know some people who have tennis channel running 24 7 and obviously in our offices that that's what's going on behind you know behind us um for me personally, I think I tune into the really great matchups that, that I'd like to see. Like Grigor Dimitrov played Sebastian Korda the other day. Like I knew that was one that you had to watch. Um, otherwise, it, it just feels like I'm more in the know and I get to pick and choose. And it's nice to stay um, in the happenings of the tennis world because, you know, even when I was playing, I didn't spend too much time thinking about the pros until it was the slams. Even even the 1000s events, honestly, I I didn't spend too much time until I got to like the semis and the finals. Um, so it's really nice to have that behind the scenes and, and really get in depth with the players and how their seasons are going. And I feel like I understand more about the professional game um, from my seat, but thankfully, uh, my job requirement does not include watching tennis on a loop. So I'm still, I'm still good in the clear for that. <laughs> yeah, it can, can be heavy, you know, like I like going to, I go to some tournaments every year and it's fun to watch it live. And then you watch a lot of tennis, right? Like you watch, but you're around the locker rooms, you, you get to play sometimes on the courts if I'm lucky, you know, so that's always fun, but it's yeah. like, yeah, after three days of watching live tennis, you're like, what match is this? And then it's like 60 versus ninth in the world you're like hmm maybe lunch is better at this point you know yeah yeah i agree with you being in the tennis atmosphere and you know especially making the trip out to the tournaments you you absolutely take advantage you know you're watching every match you're looking through the schedule you're like yep i want to hit all of these courts and and then some um, but you definitely you take a relaxing break especially after the australian open with the hours if you're not over there um, it's definitely nice to to not have to stay up for all of those matches, but to get to pick and choose which ones I, I am staying up or maybe waking up earlier for. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Do you have any favorite players you like to follow, like on, on both tours? Um, well, I, I have to shout out Sinner and Zabalenka, honestly. I've been a fan of theirs since before they really made the scene. Um, Sinner especially, um, I think, you know, when Alcaraz blew up, people kind of neglected that Sinner was one of the only players on tour that could actually give him a run for his money at the time. Um, and I think the dedication, his coaching team, the, the mindset that they have where even when he's competing, they're not afraid to experiment and try new things and really learn something new about his game and, and what's, um, what he's capable of. Um, it's just a true testament to, to how he was able to win this last slam. Um, and so I've been a fan of his since before the Carota boys. I'm sorry, the original carrot over here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And Sabalenka, I think, yeah, I think she's been an absolute rock star since she first came onto the scene. You know, yeah, yeah, she didn't really have a serve, but you could tell that her frustration was driven by her passion and her her drive to, to find this improvement. And as soon as that serve clicked, she, you know, there was no stopping her. She was a completely different animal. Um, so those two are for sure. I mean, it's it's by chance that they both just won the Open, but I, I've been watching them for a while now. 
Yeah, they're entertaining players to watch, you know, because it's like kind of spectacular how much power they can both generate with consistency, you know. And I think that was pretty much the theme uh, with, with Sinner. You see, like, he's always in balance. Like, he's always in balance. He's always belts the ball back no matter who's on the other side of the net and Sabalenka as well like she just goes for everything and he wins 6-2 6-3 every match it seems like it's just how when does this stop you know how don't you miss start missing at some point yeah exactly and I think that's why I respect her so much too is because she does attack everything you know women's tennis is, is has always been more of the aggressive playing style to begin with but her game style specifically is so it's like the next level two levels up from what I ever could, you know? And it's just so cool to see that, you know, she did it. And it, it makes me want to get out there and pound some tennis balls also. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of refreshing in a way that you can do it because, like, you, from from a math point of view, like I said before, like, the way, like, Djokovic plays or more, you know, defensive players who, who are, like, masters at managing the whole court, the movement and everything, uh, it looks a lot more taxing, but it's obviously a better at in the tennis math, right? Like, you're reducing your unforced errors, and you've seen matches on both tours, obviously, when some player is just going and it's just everything's going out, or it's like down for stars are too high, you know. But but to be able to sustain it for a long period, like she has, is is very impressive. Yeah, uh, especially, and I think that's a great point to make, especially in women, uh, in men's tennis, where everything is played more from the baseline, and you're you're playing the longer points, and and you're you're working your high percentage shots. Which is why Federer was so exciting to watch because he was more of an a aggressive player. You know, he had a very stable baseline game, but he was always moving forward, and and he didn't he wasn't afraid to challenge you a little bit more. Whereas Novak stays far back, Nadal's even farther. You know, so so it's really fascinating that this big three names in tennis history all have different game styles and all perceive the court differently and play to their strengths differently. Um, all around, it, it's truly fascinating. The, the type of players that come come through the tour. Yeah, I think the contrast in tennis is the most important, right? So you have actually like players with different styles, look different. You you kind of you want some different personalities, so you can have someone to root for, and your neighbor can have someone to root for. And it's also the contrasting styles of play that it makes a tennis match the best to watch, usually. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, every so often you get a player with a crazy grit and a crazy form and something looks wild when they hit, you know, and it's like, okay, I kind of want to see what happens. Curios hits an underhand serve every so often, you know, Blue Blick will smash a racket, <laughs> you know, everyone does something different. And it's so exciting. I feel like the in the past five or so years, the, the tour, you, the personalities of the players have been shown on court, not just off. And I think that's what's really exciting people to watch and, and to tune into these matches also. I agree. What do you think of the coming storylines now? Like, so we're, we're going towards the Sunshine Double now. It's, it's getting closer at least. Uh, but we have some big events before that. Like, what, who, which, which players do you think will be successful in the coming months before summer? Do you have a feeling? That's a great question. Um, honestly, I think I know Rune has been struggling a lot recently. But his determination and his mindset and I, I want to say arrogance, but it, it's more confidence in himself and his self-belief. I really think that he's starting to find his voice on the court um, and, and channeling that more strategically than as just like, look at me, I'm the next one to watch. So I feel like he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. I think Dimitrov is running a great 2024 and there's some you could just feel his his excitement that something's finally clicking 
So I, I really hope that he makes a deep run here um, in the Sunshine Double. As for the women, I hate to say it, but I don't think Sviancek is, 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 you know, I feel like everyone's catching up to her at this point. So I think she's playing more of like, I got to defend my my number one status and my streaks and everything that I've built because everyone seems to be playing catch up. Um, whereas other players are really are really finding their, their voice. I would love to see, ooh, oh, I have her face, but not her name. Okay. There's just, oh, there's so many good players. There's um, Noskova and Yastremska who both made a deep run at Australian Open. They're playing with a lot more confidence, especially going into the bigger tournaments now. I feel like they're playing more like I belong here as opposed to like, let me see how far I can get. So that's going to be interesting to see how, how those younger, newer players can make it through. Mira Andreva, she's always one to watch. I mean, the teenager is playing unbelievable tennis and she's made it deep runs. She's taken out big players. She's She's building that confidence. So she's definitely one to watch moving forward as well. Yeah, I think it's a pretty exciting time now because, like, the Australian Open was great. I think it's hard to argue against that. Says like it was a very good advertising vehicle for tennis because we had good storylines. Final men's side was five sets. Sabalenka went through the whole draw, but it, there were a lot of upsets on the women's side. Made it interesting as well, like a lot of new names. So that was a good tournament, which makes the whole now like the whole calendar quite open. You know, even on the men's side, like before it was like okay, Novak, 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 Novak. But now it's not like, okay, we have Sinner, where is Alcaraz is going to come back is before the clay or, you know, on the clay. Rafa is coming back as well, you know, so that's a good one. And on the women's side, like you said, there's so many new names that are making waves. And then the question is like, Svontek, will she dominate? You know, it was, when it goes on clay, yes, maybe. But there's so many players that now feel like, okay, I can beat her. She's not unbeatable because if you go through that phase, you, you might build up that confidence. But now she's maybe not as mentally you know, stable or superior or feeling that kind of wave of confidence. So I think that's it's going to be pretty exciting tennis months to come, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the men's side is, is catching up to the women's, whereas literally anybody could walk away the winner of that match. Um, and it's really exciting. I mean, I didn't even mention Adele, and I'm so excited that he's coming back. I hope it's the right call. I really do, because we'd love to see another clay season, you know, out of him, um, and especially the Olympics. But yeah, it's just truly where we're in for a treat. I know everyone talks about who's going to be the next big three and, you know, always comparing back to what these three incredible players have accomplished in the past years of tour. But I think we're entering a new stage of the game where, you know, we kind of want to see a little bit of everyone fighting for that chance to to make it to make it big. Um, and we're in for an exciting ride for sure. We're This is definitely the year to be a tennis fan. Yeah, I think so. I think tennis is doing well. I was worried for a while, right? But like then I guess COVID in, might have hurt your tennis plans and, and many others. But uh, I talked to Carousel just like two days ago and, and, you know, he stopped during COVID and now he's back on tour. So, uh, you know, it's, it's we all ha had a bit of a break from whatever <laughs> during that time. But, right. but now tennis is doing really well, it seems like. Even, you know, without Roger, Rafa is back um, and it's like open and there's so many exciting new names. So I think hopefully... Yeah, we can make it justice and hopefully like for example WTA tour have had some issues with you know the last finals didn't seem to be the best tournament in history and hopefully they can get their stuff together also for this year so we have like a proper calendar with like a clear schedule and so on yeah i think the good news is that there's high expectations you know 
tennis is really the players are stepping up to the plate and there's a lot of great tennis to watch and it's like okay now the rest of us need to respect that and and establish a, a world and a community and and the stadium and the sites that that really elevate and want us to come watch and support in person um we there's a lot of fun happening but it it, it just it would be like the cherry on top if tournaments could actually you know present it as such and, and make it more accessible more fun for fans especially who actually live there you know newbies to the sport it's it's such a great window to get everyone through the door do you think there's something we're missing as an industry or as a sport like in way we could sell the sport better to partly to beginning players like we've I've discussed this on the podcast before, maybe, you know, using green balls or starting it, making it easier, but then also packaging it in a more entertaining way to also the consumer who actually watches tennis, maybe not playing tennis, but, but watches a lot of tennis. Yeah, I think that tennis is still very much considered, you know, the elite sport aside, right alongside golf. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But I, I think golf has done a much better job of bringing in the next generation and new players and, and more excitement. And I feel like tennis keeps going from extreme to extreme. So there are some players on tour like, yeah, we want those, you know, crazy stadium crowds, like let fans do whatever. And then everyone else is like, why? Like, I love that we're the only respectable, you know, crowd out here in a stadium setting. And I feel like there's a middle ground that could easily be attainable, accessible, um, especially with the media. Also, I, I feel like there's a much better way to draw in the younger crowd as opposed to, you know, the old way of explaining tennis and commentating about tennis and the desks, the live desks, the news desk. I, I feel like everyone across the board could be doing a better job, bringing new voices, letting, like Curios, for example, is a great example. You know, he doesn't care. He's going to speak his mind and he knows that people will listen. He knows that that's the brand that he's building and that he has a following and everywhere he goes, his fans are going to go. Um, and it's just about letting that next voice be come in and, and be broadcast and not be afraid to let them speak their minds as opposed to staying to this kind of almost a script that we've been hearing for the same, I don't know how many decades, you know, um, tennis is evolving. There's more than just the reminiscing of what was. It's like, oh my God, look at what is and what could be. And I feel like as if we can get more of those voices in the tennis world, talking to the fans and players, uh, we, we can definitely, we, we have a whole new sport. Yeah, it's a great take. I think that's important. Like, and also to just let the sport be itself, right? And have its own personality. I think sometimes um, everybody wants to protect it from, you know, whatever. Like, they just want to keep it tennis as it is. Uh, and that's sometimes good, but you have to do a little bit of both. You have to do some push and pull, right? So you do let it yeah. evolve a bit, but also maintain some, some maybe traditions or some of the good stuff. Like, so Wimbledon can be Wimbledon, but then you know, let the crowd be rowdy at the Australian Open, then see who can deal with that or New York, you know. So I think that is pretty good that they have different flares in different tournaments. So like, okay, if I'm going to go there, I know it's going to be, uh, you know, I have to deal with the crowd where I don't, which I don't have to do over there. So that's right. a bit of just, contrast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just as like the court surfaces change, you know, the weather's different, you're in different peaks, even tennis fashion, for example, you know, there's always been the, okay, no, we should stay more classy or 
oh, I like the new style and the cuts and everything. Like fashion has really been taking a step, a leg up in the, the last few years and evolving and even the Rafa shorts and like the sleeveless and there's always been some sort of trend and there's always some push and pull, but either way there's, there's flexibility there and people want to see new things and they want to see the crazy colors and the, the crazy cuts and who's going to wear what, like that we should extend that feeling to other parts of the sport and even holistically yeah i think it's like di diversity in the sport is good like with like different contrasting styles personalities everything the more varied it can be the more exciting it probably will be and the bigger the audience it will reach probably so i think that is the important part of just letting it be itself and its own personality but embracing you know diversity in the sport yeah absolutely and again we're, we're seeing it this year especially um and the fans are starting to get into it more the Karota boys are a great example we had the polish king at the australian open like we're we're getting somewhere we're, we're making progress and we're all here for it so far it's looking good <laughs> as long as we don't push it too far we can we can go up this this trend so do you have any travel plan which tournaments are you attending uh this year you have any uh, schedule ideas yeah great question probably I'm trying to see if I can get to Miami, but that might be a next year situation. Uh, Wimbledon, I'm hoping to get to. Uh, there's the City Open, Cincinnati. I haven't hit those two yet in the States. I keep going outward. I got to stay in a little bit. Um, US Open's a classic. You'll definitely be seeing me there. And I'm hoping to catch the Labor Cup also, the big team event. I, I That's an underrated one where you get all the top players in the world competing. Um, it's great matches. It's a great time. And, and that will be an exciting one. I, I hear good things. Yeah, I was there in 2019. It was amazing. Like Roger, Alpha, just, just the production level was so high that you yeah. were like, oh, this is the way tennis should be. Just the, you know, the introductions of the players and yeah, every, everything was just spot on. So it was like nice as a tennis fan to see it, you know, being done. Like yeah, especially at the end of the year, after the last slam, when things are winding down, people forget that there's crazy matches still going on. And I think as opposed to like tuning in for the 250, 500 events, you tune in for the Labor Cup and the, the finals at the end of the year, you know, the bigger wrapping up team events. It's just, it's a great time. That's great. Leah, I know you have a busy schedule ahead, but I have one last question, which I think should be a now a standard question. So what racket are you using? <laughs> Great question. Uh, I use the Head MP Instinct. It's a good stick. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it treats me right. I can't complain. It looks nice, too. That's always a bonus. Uh, and strings? And it, oh, strings are the RPM blast. And tension, yeah. then, last one. Uh, 49. Ah, good, good. Yeah, the tensions are dropping. I'm doing that video tonight, like, because uh, you get these tension sheets from Dallas Open and overall, like, the tensions are just keep on going. I mean, nobody plays maybe as low as Manorino, but but generally they're, they're going down big time, so. Yeah, I felt it myself too, you know. I, I didn't really know when I was first starting out, but I found out my tension was at, like, 59, and I was like, wait a second, what if I... You just, you just keep moving it down, you play around with it. It's, it's a cool trend to see also. Yeah, I think it's better for everyone's arms and stuff like that, because otherwise yeah, you're going to have absolutely. pretty high stakes. Well, thanks a lot, Leah. It's been great talking to you. I, I really wish you a great tennis year, and I hope to see you in some of the events. I will be traveling a bit as well, so uh, maybe we can hit some balls at some point in some location. Absolutely. I would love that. Let's get a clay court out there. <laughs> yes. Awesome.